0: so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account, and in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening, so you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat, and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today.
2: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Scholarly Communication, the special series on the New Books Network that's about how knowledge gets known. I'm Daniel Shea, host of the series. Today we'll be talking to Helen Pearson, Chief Magazine Editor at Nature. Nature hardly needs introducing, being the premier journal of science. We're all used to hearing it cited, a study this week in the journal Nature. And Helen Pearson will also be known to very many of you as the author of The Life Project, her award-winning book about the remarkable data collected in Britain on birth cohorts, And Helen Pearson, as well, will be known to you as the excellent science journalist whose writing has been recognized by the Wistar Institute of Science and the Association of British Science Writers. And Helen Pearson will be known to you as the chief magazine editor of Nature, which brings us right to our topic for today's podcast. Scholarly Communication, this special series on the New Books Network, has the aim of showing just how research gets published, a podcast about how knowledge gets known. Everyone from first-year college students to tenured professors knows what research looks like because they either have been taught or have themselves taught how to do it. The same cannot be said about publishing. Scholarly communication wants to help change that. Scholarly communication wants to reveal to researchers and to readers alike just how essential communication is to their research. Because we believe that communication improves when people understand how communication happens. We believe, too, that research improves when researchers better understand their role as authors. A journal as vital to communication in the sciences as Nature, a journal as prestigious in the world of publishing as Nature cannot be missed. Helen Pearson edits the news, the opinion, and more for Nature, and it is her workday, her preoccupations, and generally her perspective on research and publishing in particular that make today's podcast. Helen Welcome to Scholarly Communication.
1: Thanks very much for having me on.
2: Um, We'd like to uh, uh, begin with you and your typical workday. Could you maybe take us a bit on a short tour of of what you find yourself doing day in, day out?
1: Sure. So um, my role as as chief magazine editor um, means that I oversee the journalism and opinion content for Nature, so while probably many people know Nature for, um, you know, the outstanding research and the, and the primary research that we publish, um, we're also very unusual in actually being a science journal and a science magazine. So um, we also publish um, editorials, news, opinion content, um, careers content, analysis. Um, and so all of that part of it uh, falls under my remit. So I run um, quite a, a large team for Nature. Um between 60 and 70 people um, altogether who are producing um, all of that part of, of nature. Um, so when it comes to how I, I spend my day, um, I, I was thinking about this before I came on. What I'm actually doing today. I mean, a lot of it is um, making sure that that, that team is, is working well, um, that they're all happy. Um, you know, a lot a lot of management is involved, um, and it's also Thinking about um, the kind of high level, uh, what nature um, wants to be, what we want to do. So thinking about our editorial vision, our uh, strategy, um, setting our course in terms of what editorial themes we might want to focus on this year um, and our our content strategy. So thinking about do we want to grow, for example, particular types of articles over others? so i'm doing a lot of that um i'm also you know reading content that's coming through um commenting on it um checking sensitive content top editing content so i probably do a less of actually uh, having my hands on the words uh, um than i did perhaps um earlier in my career because i have a lot of outstanding editors in the team who, who can do that um and just you know Thinking about this morning, is today a typical day? Well, none of it's typical, of course, um, anymore because I'm working at home all the time. Um, And we've all been doing that, of course, at Nature for the last um, six months or so. So that's our our new normal. But um, so, for example, I dialed into our morning news meeting where we have all of our um, UK reporters and editors dial in, talk about what's been happening today. What do we need to cover? What have we already got coming through? Um, I top edited an editorial, um, you know, I spent a lot of time with my news med- editor, um, talking through, you know, the things to help her. Um, so I suppose that's actually quite a, quite a typical morning. I hope that gives you a reasonable sense of, um, of what I'm up to.
2: Oh, it does very much so. Yeah. Um, you talk about, uh, the unique position that nature has. Um, and it's true. Um, uh, I work at a university and writing support and, um, many of the journals that the people uh, I'm teaching or helping uh, they're looking at are not journals that you would find necessarily on the newsstand. And yet nature is one of those journals. And it's also considered to be the prime place to learn, uh, to land your research. Um, can you speak a bit more to uh, this unique format that nature has?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, nature is actually very rarely on newsstands nowadays. So our, our primary audience are um are working scientists. That's what I'm thinking about all the time, is how to serve um, working scientists, working researchers um, around the world. And we know that those are our readers. Um, of course, you know, I, I mean, just by looking online at our analytics, we know we do bring in a much sort of bigger halo audience um, digitally than that. So we, we reach a lot of people who are just interested in um, science. And uh, yeah, so I suppose your question is is sort of where does nature sit within the, the sort of research um, ecosystem, the research publishing ecosystem? Um, yeah, I that's mean, right. Yeah. I, I think that we are, I mean, we're, we're very aware that we are one, you know, player in this enormous um, and important research publishing industry. Um, I mean, nature is actually part of a, a you know, a bigger um, scientific and research publishing company, Springer Nature, um, which alone publishes over 3,000 journals. So, you know, we're, we're one of many, within, even within our own company. Um, and I think we're we're more than aware of that. I think we ought to have a very um, modest uh, view of, of where nature sits. I mean, I know, you know, a nature paper can count for a lot for many researchers, um, but publications in in all journals and all types of research is, is extremely valuable, and we're more than aware of that. Um I suppose what what do I think sets Nature apart? I mean, I do think it is quite unusual in having that format um, of, you know, trying to be this outstanding um, publisher of primary research and to be publishing the best in in science news and commentary. And I quite like that as a, a kind of unique challenge for us and hopefully unique selling point. Um, I think other things that set us apart is just being so multidisciplinary. Um, so that is kind of amazing for me as a job because you're just always encountering you know an amazing array of ideas um across the disciplines and I think that we all enjoy that and that's part of what makes nature special is that very sort of broad uh remit um and I think you know another thing is is um international so we have international in our in our strap line um so we're always thinking about You know, for example, in news, um, if there's some development in research policy and we're going to write about that in our news section, we really want to make clear why that's of interest to um, an international audience um, rather than just um, a a local one or a national one. And, um, you know, we're just always striving to have the kind of highest quality and and authority in, in what we say. Um, and I think there's a responsibility on us actually to do that, you know, given that we are nature and the nature name comes with something. Then we have to be absolutely sure that we are um, right, uh, for example, in the news that we report and we take things like fact checking extremely seriously. So that's, I suppose, from my perspective, some of the, the ways I view nature as being um, you know, interesting and different.
2: All right. Yeah, that's 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 uh, really interesting. And um, I like uh, what you're saying there about um, how you vet the news, obviously, on the fact end, but how you also see if it's a fit for nature, if it's of interest to the scientists, if it reaches um, a broad enough public. Um, can you think of perhaps any uh, story in the past, uh, say, few months where interesting discussions w- arose around just these topics?
1: Well, I mean, there's really only been one story in the last few months because it's the pandemic. Very very much so, yeah. I don't don't think I could talk about anything else in answer to that question. Um, Well, I mean, that's been just such an interesting journey um, over the last, you know, six months. I mean, we actually, we we started reporting on it right back in in January. Um, I mean, it's kind of unusual in a way because... um, you know at nature we report on science news and all of a sudden um, everyone's reporting on on this incredible um and important science news story so that has been um you know both both good and bad i mean good because um obviously it was really really important that the world's media writes about this incredible um event um and then just on a on a very sort of Team, team level or for our particular output then the challenge is well if we used to kind of think about how we could add value to stories and write about you know in depth this this um, important story if everybody's doing that then how do we continue to add something for our readers that still makes our coverage um you know stand out um so we 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 actually ended up writing out some editorial kind of criteria in the way uh, um, in the end sorry um that we were going to, as I said before, like always be focused on the research and the science. That's absolutely central to what we're covering. Um, And we've always, you know, been unafraid of going in deep on science. I mean, I think that's another selling point. You know, we're not going to be shy about talking about the nitty gritty of the research process or, um, you know, the discoveries. And we've absolutely committed to doing that. Um, You know, we were always... um, like many media outlets, just thinking about how we could we could add some value or add some analysis or add some context that would help all of these developments make, make sense. Um, because the other challenge is, you know, um, we're not a huge news team, we're a huge operation. So, you know, like many outlets, everybody's thinking about how they can still um, add something in this, um, you know, evolving and, and very difficult um, situation. So And I suppose the other thing is, you know, just, again, getting it right. I mean, you know, given all of this particular story, of course, um, you know, the the sort of proliferation of of misinformation and disinformation, then again, there's this massive responsibility that we we have to be sure about what we're saying. And so I think we really tried to, to double down on that.
2: That brings up um, a pretty interesting point b- beyond uh, uh, COVID-19 <laughs> of uh, misinformation, disinformation, and, and just the widespread availability of information. Um, you've been in journalism perhaps some time and can say something to developments there. Is th- uh, Would you say that now in 2020, vetting information and making sure that uh, the story gets out right is done differently than it was done um, in the past?
1: Yeah, that's and a your really own good past? question. <laughs> um, I mean, I suppose I've been fortunate. In, I, I've, I've been at Nature a long time, so I, I joined Nature in 2001 um, as an online reporter, just to take a little segue into my career history. But, um, um, you know, and th- those were the days when um, online news was probably considered to be secondary to the print issue, you know, the print was what, what really mattered. And I, I don't think we would, we would say that as much anymore. I mean, you know, we get more readers um, now online than we ever do um, in print. Um, but throughout all of that time, we've, we've always, um, you know, had quite a rigorous um, fact-checking policy and, you know, we have a rigorous sub-editing process, which is um, checking our, our, our facts and our, and our sources um, so I'm not sure there's been a huge change internally. Um, I do think, you know, externally, perhaps what, what we're up against has changed um, because, you know, there's just so much more information out there and it's become harder and harder for everyone to, you know, including us, to to filter what we should be listening to. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes I suppose we have to debate if there's some new... Um, you know, theory um, circulating? So do you and I think this is interesting, that probably happens in lots of newsrooms. So do you take time um, to debunk something which has been uh, falsely said elsewhere? Um, Or do you spend time, you know, given your limited resources reporting on the actual facts and the actual news? Um, And you know, you can see this on other websites, right? I mean, sometimes there will be um, entire stories or, or efforts or you know even organizations setting up to fact checking what other people are saying and I suppose we've felt so far given that we do have limited resources that we should focus on putting out high quality accurate um, news and content um, rather than perhaps being distracted by an agenda which other people are setting. Um, now you can argue whether that's that's right or wrong because I think so, some sometimes you know there is a responsibility to actually point out when something is wrong and and i suppose the times we do get into that is if if there's some thing where every i mean if scientists are really reacting to something that would be a kind of interesting story to us and we would start to get into um you know obviously for example about climate change i mean that's just a, a huge conversation which um we need to be part of and part of that would be talking about climate denialism and how that affects scientists lives so that would be an example in which of course we would be engaging um with information which is um, potentially untrue.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that seems to me to set a very clear strategy. If, in other words, um, if I'm a- accurately repeating what you've said here, then you'd be more or less uh, relying on Nature's established reputation of giving out uh, the best of information and on the other hand looking to the scientific community to see what everything what anything might be of interest beyond that if it touches on society or or politics or anything leaving the area of research would would that be perhaps an encapsulation of, of the strategy you would say you yeah, would be I following we, in journalism
1: we, absolutely um, I think that we are are always trying to serve scientists in in what we do. So we want to be, you know, invaluable and of of use to them and helping, you know, science itself and scientists. Um, Now, we've always covered uh, areas um, where science... um, I suppose what, what I'm saying is it's not that we we are um, ignoring, you know, society or politics, we will always cover those issues where they overlap with science and the the lives of scientists. So that's absolutely part of of what we do.
2: Yes, yeah, I mean... That, that, that came up very clearly definitely definitely um, you mentioned uh, uh, different uh, series that are brought in uh, concerning careers for example um, because very many people looking to publish in, in nature are in post uh, grad work for example in, in the laboratory and hoping to land a paper in in nature uh, could you say something about uh, some of those different series uh, for instance pressure to uh, publish or um, the PhD and and, um other such career um series that you've had
1: sure i mean we actually um cover scientific careers um and issues that that matter to, to scientists um working scientists all the time so we have a dedicated career section which is extremely popular um so all, all type of careers issues you know issues that are important to the scientific community um PhDs, early career researchers, postdocs—you um, know—that's absolutely central to what we're doing. And, and interestingly, we know from from online analytics that the people who are reading um, that content tend to skew a little bit younger, which is great because we really want to reach those early career um, researchers. So, all all of the things you've talked about, we we, we cover regularly. In fact, we just published um, the first in a series where. Um, our careers team have done a survey of postdoctoral scientists. first time we've actually done that. I think we reached over about six thousand and talking about the impacts on their lives of the pandemic, which of course are huge um, in terms of potentially changing their career opportunities and making things difficult um, to them in terms of mm-hmm. you know going on in science. So um yeah, so I wouldn't say that's necessarily a kind of series. that's actually just sort of part of what we're doing all of the time, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a, a standard section, so to speak. Then. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm also interested, though, in uh, how uh, in the nitty gritty, if you like, uh, how this actually comes about. You've just talked about a very large team of upwards of 70 or 80 people that you're working with and that you're top editing different articles and so on. Um, could you... Either through an example or uh, generically, uh, give us uh, an idea of how, uh, say, uh, that most recent uh, poll to PhD students or postdocs um, was was done from start to finish.
1: Sure. Um, so, yes, I mean, it really depends what type of article you're talking about, I suppose, because I mean the the publication timescales will differ absolutely drastically depending on what we're talking about. So, for example, with a news story, we might be discussing it today and publishing it tomorrow. Um, But with a more substantial project, let's say, like the postdoc survey, you know, we were discussing that a year ago um, because it would obviously take a huge amount of planning and so forth. Um, So what's most useful to talk to you about? I mean, I could give you um, talk about a news story or I could talk about a feature or... um,
2: I, th- um, I think probably not the news story, uh, and yeah, unless yeah, unless you uh, unless you uh, <laughs> had an inclination for that, but um, maybe a feature or even this most yeah. recent. Um, I mean, I, I, I can
1: probably talk best about features because before I was doing this um, job, then I, at Nature, I, I I ran the features team, um, so I was really involved in the nitty gritty of, of that. Um, the 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 news features are our sort of longest um, our long form journalistic articles um, so they might run across you know between two four up to maybe five pages in in a print issue um, so maybe two thousand four hundred 3 thousand two hundred words. Um, and they would probably be anywhere between I don't know um, I mean as little as, as a month in the making because uh, we've really speeded speeded them up especially during the pandemic actually. Um, To Again, as much as a year, depending on what the idea is. Um, And I would say probably about half are reported by our staff reporters. So we have a, um, a team of journalists who work within Nature and we also work very closely with fantastic freelance writers who work around the world. Um, and sometimes ideas are pitched to us, and sometimes um, we will quite often, you know, editors within their discussions will come up with an idea that we think is a fantastic um, news feature and just really deserves, you know, more more depth, more words, more reporting than you would want from a from a news story. Um, and then we would commission it, and a reporter uh, for for a news feature. I mean, again, it could be, you know, if, if with with COVID, we've really sped things up sometimes because the whole news pace has just been moving so quickly. You know, you can have an idea today and tomorrow you'll see three other people publish that idea or that article. So um, you you have to be quick. Um, You know, we've we've done them in as little as two weeks. um, But before COVID, you know, it it would probably be a lot longer than that because a journalist might go away and have to make, you know, 20 phone calls, 30, um, you know, to interview scientists and bring it all together. And then once they submit a draft, then an editor would be um, working with them very closely. Um, If it was me, you know, I would I mean, this is really quite nitty gritty, but, um, you know, I would probably be going through that piece in great detail, adding a, a, a large number of comments, questions, sending it back to the journalist to say, can you adjust it? Can you do me a second draft? It would come back to me as an editor. At that point, I would usually do a line edit, where you actually, you know, are going through it line by line, word by word, making sure it's m- moving things around, um, adjusting it, editing it, um, and then there would be further back and forth with with the um, reporter until you were happy with it. And then, um, alongside that, we would be having uh, we work very, very closely with a, with our um, art team at Nature to work out what graphics do we want to show because we we know that graphics. I mean, we just I'm really, really proud of the graphics that we do um, and that the art team does an amazing job, but we also know that readers really like them. Um, so we're often thinking about what you know data can we display, um, what, what can we show, what's the best way to illustrate that point, what, what photography might we want to use. Um, and then uh, alongside that, at some point the text would go over to our sub-editors who would go through it extremely carefully for the grammar, for style, for sensitivities, for fact-checking. Um, and after all that has happened, <laughs> then we would be getting close to publishing it. Um, and often it will publish um, in digital uh, before it would it would ever go into the print issue. I mean, that's in fact that's almost always the case now. So that. <laughs>
0: Slash NBN50 to get 50% off.
2: Yes, yes. <laughs> that uh, somehow doesn't surprise me, writing being always a process and a team effort uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, in that way. Um, do you uh, have any of these uh, ideas coming uh, down the line that get started, that enter the editing process, and at some point get sidelined or even left?
1: Um, we're actually quite good at nature at not doing that. I mean, that's sort of called killing a a piece, I I suppose. Um, we, we, we're quite rigorous in the way that we probe an idea before we would commission it because, you know, nobody wants to waste their, their time, um, working really hard on an article, which won't eventually be published. So we're far more likely to really make sure that it's something that we think will work before we would commission it. If, if, if this is a piece from a, um, a reporter. Um, I mean, sometimes, of course, events change, um, you know, you're, you're always reacting in news. So, yes, yeah, sometimes you have to recast a piece or, or think, you know, I mean, there's often ways you can keep the body of the text, but you might need to just reframe it or something if events have changed. Um, so I think generally that's that's more likely what we would do than actually completely give up on a story.
2: I see. OK. All right. You you mentioned um, also then it being published digital before it then enters into the print format. Mm. Um, is there would you say a, a large difference in content between the two um are there many features online that you're not finding in the print or um, perhaps even yeah. the other way around
1: i mean that there yeah, that's a great question um so we've we've sort of increasingly over the last sort of five years probably just pushed more and more towards this whole digital first way way of thinking um, which of course has happened across media organizations you know particularly ones which have a a long long legacy of print like like we do um but you know you you need to go where the readers are and serve readers and and they are on their their laptops and their phones and that's where we need to be um i would say in terms of you're you're basically saying how much more content have we got online than ends up being going into the, the print issue in in news i'd say there's um there's a reasonable amount um that there's some that we would would only appear online and we wouldn't put it into print but with most of the other sections I would say and by sections I mean the other kind of article types um, I would say most of what we're publishing digitally is is ending up in the print issue but it's just um it might not be you know immediately after it's published in digital so there might be more more of a lag than we would have had in the past Um, and we're just sort of increasingly moving to this concept of um you know curating the kind of the the best of, of what we published um in digital into the the print issue, which again is, is sort of, you know, the way that the industry is, um, is going.
2: Okay. Yeah. So no major exception there in, in comparison to other, um, other no, online and so. print. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you mentioned earlier the analytics and said, uh, that you are able to see that for instance, many of your careers, uh, features are extremely popular. Um, could you. Perhaps point to other features that that rank in a similar way
1: Sure. I so, mean maybe I should just talk a bit about sort of how we how do we gauge whether what we're doing is is a success, right? Now. That's a better <laughs> um, question. Because, because analytics <laughs> is is you know one way of, of looking at that. Um, so and, and, and what's interesting is that sometimes, you know, you're, we're going to publish a piece which we know is really important editorially and, and it sort of speaks to our um, editorial mission or our, our mission statement. And I can come back to that if you want. Um, but we, we actually know that that piece might not do very well online, but that's obviously not going to stop us um, publishing it. Um, so I suppose there's that. So there's one way of is sort of are we we've set ourselves some editorial goals? Um, maybe we've said, you know, we are um focusing for example we've we've had a push to really focus on climate change you know so it fulfills that goal we really want to cover climate change um so that's that's a success in one way um and but we can also of course look at um analytics and you know and kind of understand reader behavior in a way that we can never do with the print issue because although you can count how many print issues that um people that we're sending out we don't actually know without doing surveys which we do sometimes do um but you don't know really week to week what articles have resonated with readers and that's what you can do with analytics online so we do look at that um and i have a fantastic um person anna Nagel in my team who looks carefully at our traffic all the time and is feeding that back to the team so that we can make, you know, use that to inform our, our editorial strategy. So we're looking at kind of um, total page views that we get on pieces. We look at um, page views we're getting from academic institutions, from subscribing institutions, which give us a really a sort of more focused way of understanding what actually the working scientists are, are reading. And that can be actually sometimes quite different to what the, the sort of broader audience is, is looking at. Um, And then we're also looking at other measures of of impact. Um, So we look, we we really want to be publishing what we would term thought leadership. So, you know, we want to be setting the agenda in science. We want to be shaping how it's done. um, We want to be improving science. And so we are trying as best we can to work out whether we have uh, done that and um and that is is much harder uh to to gauge um because you're trying to measure whether you've made a difference in the real world and i think lots of media organizations sort of struggle with how to actually measure that um but for example we would look at things like um you know, how much discussion have we prompted on social media? Um, have we, have there been media pickup of, for example, a piece about science policy that we've published? Have we won uh, journalism awards or design awards? And sometimes we get active feedback, actually, from either authors that we've published or elsewhere that says, you know, this piece really made a difference and this has led to such and such a white paper or this has caused this change of policy. And we actually try and log that impact Um in what we call our impact tracker, which we're trying to improve at the moment, but a kind of way of saying, you know, how much real-world kind of impact have you had with with that um, journalism um, or opinion content? So lots of different ways, really. You know, it's, it's unsurprisingly there's no simple answer to kind of what's what. No, success no, it doesn't surprise think, at all.
2: Yeah. yeah. I just I just wanted to follow up there on that last point mm-hmm. that you made about um, getting feedback um, from scientists or authors uh, saying that it led to perhaps this white paper or definitely mm-hmm. influenced discussion in one way or the other. Um, that seems to be to be really the. <laughs> I don't want to say most relevant, but certainly very weighty uh, feedback, because uh, if I'm understanding your uh, mission correctly, it is to enter into and also to lead a bit of the scientific uh, community's conversation, if you like. Um, so would that sort of feedback really impress the team? Um,
1: well, we're, maybe we're always tr- delighted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it would. Um, and we're always delighted to hear from uh, people that we've, we've worked with and also where we've made a difference um, I mean, sometimes we get sort of more feedback just around the editing process, because I think sometimes it's not appreciated how much, ed, you know, actual hands on editing is going into producing, for example, a piece of opinion content, which might have been written by an expert author. But we're really going to work with them, you know, hand by hand, hand in hand to um, shape that piece and bring out the message and make it you know, really sing. And so we, we actually get quite a lot of nice feedback about um you know, just, just that editing process, um, sort of adding value there. And then we also get this sort of feedback around, um, and then did that piece go on and make a difference in the world? And, um, so yes, I mean, that's really important to, to the team. And we actually, I mean, one of the projects we've been really excited about the last couple of years, which we're in at the moment is we, um, we won some funding from the Google digital news innovation fund, which is a, um, you know, a part of a Google fund, which is trying to, um, Uh, further all kinds of different projects around digital um, journalism and ours is to build a um, impact tracker so a kind of tool by which when we when we learn about that type of impact um, real world impact we can actually input it into a database and then um, sort it and potentially produce reports out of it so that's the kind of ongoing um, project that we're we're in at the moment which I think will be really exciting when we when we get to the end of it.
2: Yes, well, it does sound very exciting. Um, I'd like to follow up again on uh, something there with the editing process, uh, because what you said uh, there about getting feedback from authors and being appreciative of, of the changes that were made to their text, or the kind of work that goes on your end to, as you say, honing their message, making it sing, I think is the mm-hmm. word you even used. Um, the uh, the actual writing bit is what I'm interested in now, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, to put it to put it quite simply, um, questions of style, questions of um, let's say differing communicative abilities. Uh, not every great scientist is a great writer. Not every great scientist has English as their first language. Um, could you uh, speak uh, to that area of editing?
1: Sure. I mean. You know, one thing for nature is we are really committed to publishing a diversity of of voices um, and we're really working hard to um, diversify the authors that we work with. And absolutely, we... um, you know, copy will come in, in in all kinds of different states. I mean, I mean, you know, you, you know this, someone who um, I do. <laughs> teaches science writing, but um, some people can dash something off and it's absolutely beautiful. And, you know, you can, as an editor, wave, almost wave it through to um, to press and other pieces are going to, uh, you know, involve an enormous amount of, of rewriting um, and, and, you know, potentially re-reporting and so forth. So, but that's what editors do. Um, and, you know, that could be really, enjoyable as well to take something and actually really sort of help an author um extract the message and and sort of distill the message that they want to um to say so yeah I mean of course sometimes it's a challenge and it's not I I can't suggest that everybody's writing into us saying we loved what you did uh, because some you know I mean I've been edited myself and it's it's still really hard right it's always hard to have someone um come in and change what you were trying to say So. It's a bit painful, but we normally end up with something which is, is better in the end.
2: Is there any way that you could perhaps put a, a name or two or a, a point or two on some of the guidelines that are in editors' minds when they're shaping something for uh, the nature page? Um, let's let's stay very much, of course, in your area of, uh, of the journalism and opinion. Um but when something's coming in, even from a freelancer or mm-hmm. let's say it's from a scientist, um, how do you how do you make a judgment on even on the level of the sentence, if you like, or on word choice uh, that says this is now communicating? This is now getting through.
1: Um, well, I mean, in terms of yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I mean, you, you've got to have something at the core of it, I think, which is something original and, and fresh that that the author wants to say. Um, right? because otherwise it doesn't really matter how many words you wrap around it, but you, th- there's no particular point publishing it. so that would be that would be the first thing. Um, I think that we, I mean, you just want things to be clear, I think. I mean, if if ever I'm editing something and I, it's just a bit hard to quite work out you know what the sentence is saying, then we need to have another look at it. So it just has to be clear. I mean, you want you want people to, just be able to read straight through it. It's just got to be a straightforward, enjoyable experience um, that you can understand, not that you're struggling to understand or that it makes you feel stupid because you can't understand it. Um, and I think, interestingly, I, I'm sure you find this as well, but as an editor, that you feel very free to ask stupid questions, right? Because if you don't understand it as the editor, then probably your readers won't understand it either. So it's OK to just say, no, I just I, I can't quite see what you're trying to say with this, um, just you know tell, tell me again what you're trying to say um so you know c- clarity is absolutely paramount um we we don't really tolerate too much jargon i think in in our um in our journalism opinion um you know we're really trying to i mean if you look obviously it's a research paper just because of the way that the research um the research community now is so specialised, then most papers are very inaccessible to people who are outside that field. Um, But what we are always thinking about for a piece um, in in the front of Nature, in the magazine part, is, is that piece readable and understandable by anyone in any discipline? Um, And so I think that's quite a useful way to think about it. So a level of jargon which would be acceptable um, in a research paper is, is probably not acceptable in a piece that we would be writing about. Um, and I suppose the other thing, you know, we do try and, I mean, we're always thinking about the kind of the data and the evidence to support what we're saying. And so often we are pushing to, you know, if, if somebody wants to make a provocative statement in an opinion piece, then we want to know how that is is supported. Um, and so the more data we can have behind something, then the better as far as we're concerned. Okay.
2: Yeah. Well, that gives a very clear picture. And it also reflects the idea, as you said in the very beginning, that your readership is interdisciplinary. So mm-hmm. you want to make sure that the upfront content, as you say, uh, is for everyone. And perhaps uh, after that, the actual research articles are certainly going to be slightly more uh, pinpointed, if you like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's right.
2: Okay. All right. Um, one uh, last thing that I'd uh, be interested in is... Uh, you talked about a uh, mission statement in your editing, mm. and uh, you said that you might be able to uh, flesh that out a bit and uh, tell us a bit more about uh, what its content is. If 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 you would, that would be um, yes, very interesting.
1: Yes, I mean our mission statement is published online, so it's certainly no secret. Um, I probably should have done this at the start because it allows me to talk a little bit actually about the history of nature, which is which is quite. Um, interesting and we all spent a lot of time thinking about this last year because um, nature was founded in 1869 so we were 150 last year so um, we had various um celebrations and the celebratory um anniversary issue um but anyway it's it's the reason this is relevant to the mission statement is is our mission statement has um not changed all all that much since um since the very start and um the mission statement now um shows that we part of our mission is is not just um, publishing primary research, it's always been about this wider communication of research Um, and if you google nature mission statement you can find it but um, it it says that it's, um, so our mission statement is first to serve scientists through prompt publication of significant advances in any branch of science um, and to provide a forum for the reporting and discussion of news and issues concerning science and um, Second, to ensure that the results of science are rapidly disseminated to the public throughout the world in a fashion that conveys their significance for knowledge, culture and daily life. Um, and, you know, that really kind of shows, as I said, this um, this dual purpose that, that we have, that this new side of nature is actually fundamental to what we're doing, um, not just to kind of add on. And interestingly, actually, right back at the very start when Nature was founded, it was actually founded more as a popular science magazine, so perhaps more like Scientific American or New Scientist today. Um, and it was actually only over time that it became, um, it evolved into a journal that um, in which scientists published primary research. And um, so we kind of, I mean, that, you know, again, sort of shapes it's not so specific, obviously, that it's guiding us into saying, well, we need to cover climate change. But it does just show that the activities of what, you know, I and my team do is really um, a very important part of what nature does by fulfilling its, its mission. Um, and, you know, I, I, there was one stat I just wanted to throw in, actually, which is about 70 percent of the articles we publish, if you just go by count, are journalism, journalism and opinion content, which just goes to show what a big um, part of the journal it actually is.
2: Yes. Okay. Yeah. Interesting history, too, as well. The, the fact that it's kept this character of having, as you say, yeah. this news dissemination idea, but That's has right. also become so important to uh, primary research as well. That's right. Uh, One thing uh, we've—I feel—we've kind of overlooked in our interview because of me, I failed to ask uh, you a bit about uh, yourself and uh, your career background. If you could maybe you—you did mention in passing that you entered in two thousand and one, I believe, into uh, nature. Could you uh, give us a, a, a brief trajectory, if you like, what brought you to science journalism?
1: Sure, yes. So I um, was in scientific research myself just up to the end of a PhD, which I did up at the University of um, Edinburgh in Scotland. And um, after that, I, I had a sense that, you know, what, while I loved science, um, I didn't necessarily enjoy the just the intense focus on, on one narrow area, which, of course, you experience in a PhD. And I think if you speak to lots of science journalists, they often tell the same thing, that they wanted a kind of broader view. Um, and so I went from uh, that. I worked briefly in the Science Museum in London. I started to do a bit of freelance science writing um, for new scientists. And then I was able to get a position at Nature, um, as you said, in, in 2001 as an online reporter. Um, so I was reporting uh, and really editing for Nature from that point on. I spent um, eight years of that in New York, which was a great experience um, working in our New York office and just getting a sort of um, sense of you know u.s research and policy which i think is fantastic and to have and now i am back in london and um, i mentioned before that you know within that path i um was focused for a while on on features editing and running the features team which is kind of i suppose my personal love perhaps in in longer form um science writing and science journalism i I really enjoy that and that led on eventually to, to writing the book so that's really been my path i'd say
2: yeah, yeah, and the feature writing is certainly what captures my attention. I completely, <laughs> I'm completely uh, on board with you there. Um, one quick question there to the uh, um, your experience in America. Um, you mentioned that it was uh, f- quite interesting to see how uh, policy was. Could could you say a word to how it's uh, what it is that you learned there, maybe in that direction?
1: Well, I think it's just, I mean, it's always useful to live in another country, isn't it? Because it broadens your, yeah. <laughs> your horizons. But particularly if you're going to live at, uh, live in a sort of scientific superpower, that's quite useful when it comes to being in, in the business that I'm in. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I just had to report, I mean, I was mostly writing about biomedical research, but obviously starting to understand how important institutions such as the National Institutes of Health, you know, work and how research funding is given out and You know the the intense competition I think for um, funding and to to publish. So I think just a sort of general education in um, seeing how that research community um, operates is is incredibly useful. Um, And you know of course we're we're covering that all the time, so it helps shape what we're wanting to write about. And we do have a very significant um, audience in the US. So I think about um, half of our readers in general are are from the U.S. So we certainly want to cover those issues.
2: Okay. Well, uh, Helen, you've uh, been very generous with your time with us. And uh, I'd like to just close off with uh, one last question. If you could uh, speak to any current project that you're doing inside or outside of nature?
1: Absolutely. I've, I've got a project inside and a project outside nature, I mean, inside nature, well, I mean, Inside Nature, the ongoing project is is how to continue to cover the pandemic, which is absolutely, you know, obviously the the biggest story of the year. It's just been an unprecedented year in in so many ways. I feel like that term's been overused this year and I've used it. Um, But thinking about how we continue to add value to that um, as, you know, it's been interesting to see the kind of news agenda broaden in other outlets um and we can actually you know stay completely focused on on the research and the science um of the pandemic so we're thinking about that and even you know starting to think well how do we how do we represent this year actually because we're still already planning our end of year um content you know how do we how do we summarize a year like that for our readers in, in a useful way um, So that's what we're thinking about um, within nature and already started to think about our coverage for for 2021. And then outside nature, I'm starting to work, just starting to work on a a second um, book, uh, which is about the use of evidence in multiple different disciplines and how we use it to make decisions. So I've got something else (laughs) to keep me busy as well. (laughs) So, you know, not too much going on. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah well that's an understatement <laughs> and <laughs> in true british fashion <laughs> um uh, well the book sounds fascinating and uh, perhaps at some future date uh, when it's completed and successful we can talk about it here uh, on great. scholarly yeah, communication great um well thank you very much um that is helen pearson chief magazine editor at nature i'm daniel shea and this is goodbye from me to helen goodbye
1: goodbye thanks for having me on the show
2: And this is goodbye to everyone else. Until next time, bye-bye.
1: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about
2: anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps)